So the lie that we tell ourselves that life is so stressful, that we are so busy, that uh, we never have enough time in a day, that uh, other people actually put those things upon us, all of, all of that is one big light that takes us away from our life's purpose, which is being yes. connected with our oneness, with our peace, and being peaceful now, not when you've written the book or, uh, or made a million pounds. Welcome to Stories of Expansion, created by Gosha Gona and me, Wun Tan. This podcast shares inspiring expansion stories. We speak to amazing guests who have turned the biggest challenges and fears into blessings for themselves and others. We will be exploring how they've overcome their personal and business challenges to create a bigger impact and make a difference in the world. We will learn how they've survived and blossomed in times of challenge. We believe that the world needs us more than ever before. It is time to stop procrastinating and playing small. Let's show up more fully and achieve what we're here to do together. So today, I have the greatest pleasure, joy, delight uh, to introduce to you someone who is truly uh, impactful and has helped thousands or probably maybe even millions of people around the world with her coaching, with her programs, with her books, with her genius. And I would love to introduce you to Jackie Woodside. Oh, and so uh, Jackie, welcome, welcome, welcome here. Yeah, thank you. Will you just follow me around and say that every now and then, you know, uh, in, in my ear? <laughs> <laughs> I can record it. Well, you can listen to the uh, podcast. I can, all right, I'll just listen to it. I'll put it on loop. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, thank you very much. And it's really, of course, it's my honor to, to be here and to, to talk with you. Thank you. And, and let me uh, share with, with, with the listeners what I truly uh, felt touched by when I first heard you speak. Because basically, Jackie was a co-presenter at the P, uh, Mindful Peace Summit Mindful joy, mind, mindful joy, I think. It was the Mindful, yeah, joy, mindful summit. joy and Peace Summit. Right, and yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Uh, and I was walking uh, in the forest and li- I was listening to your talk mm. and the conversation you had with Virginia and I suddenly realized, hmm, this is exactly what I need. <laughs> nice, nice. This is exactly what, and you know, what you said was, uh, it, maybe I'm not going to express it precisely the way you said it, but that's how I heard it. Yeah, yeah. And you said something like this, I organize my life around things that make my life delightful. Yeah. And that, that uh, rejoice my soul. Yeah. And when I organize my life around what rejoices my soul and give me peace, then I know I'm successful. So you re, um, renamed the success, the definition of success immediately. Yeah. And then you banished the idea that people have to be uh, overwhelmed, busy, chaotic in order to be successful. In, in, in fact, you disqualified the idea that you have yeah. to be... Um, in fact, you said basically... If you are chaotic, if you are busy and overwhelmed, you actually are not successful. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, yeah. 
And I went like, bloody hell. (laughs) (laughs) Spoke right to your heart, huh? (laughs) Exactly. So then I thought I must connect with Jackie. Maybe I can learn from you, but also I want to share you with my listeners. But I just want to say that you are a certified coach, but also you are um, a speaker, a trainer, and an author of three best-selling books. And the titles are completely... um, got me interested straight away. So the first one that got me interested and I immediately thought, okay, I have to read it. I have to uh, get your, uh, your program and I want to know all about it is Coming the Chaos. That's the first yes. book. And we're going yeah. to talk about it in a moment. The second one was Mighty Vibe. And I thought, I want to know about that and Time for Change. And so Jackie, please tell us, my darling, um, a little bit about, to start with, what is it that those books are about? Let's maybe start with, with The Coming to Chaos. What do you share with people there? Yeah, sure. Thank you for asking. So The Coming to Chaos book is really, um, it, it, it's a holistic approach to productivity and getting things done. But it, it, it fundamentally starts with the premise that there's more to life than getting things done. Right. So yes. it, it, it debunks the myth of time management. So yes. it, it, uh, it teaches that there is no such thing as time management, first of mm-hmm. all, because time is going to do what time does. Time is not a variable. If we got up this morning, God willing, we have 24 hours ahead of us. Right. And that's the same for everyone across the board. Everyone has 24 hours ahead of us, whether you're uh, running multiple corporations you know, internationally or you're sitting on the stoop watching the world go by. The time is not the variable. So the variable is you and your ability and capacity to be clear about who you are, why you're here, where you're going in your life and how, you know, putting structures in place to get there. Um, That's the variable of how you manage yourself, your decisions. And I I used to call it how you manage your energy. Energy management was the name of this program before uh, I took it to the publisher who's like, oh, we need a new title for this, Coming to Chaos. So it really is a book about the inner journey of are you accomplishing what you came here to be? Are you accomplishing what you want to be accomplishing? What's meaningful and valuable to you? So it's an inner exploration. And then there's a whole section that I believe is the most effective productivity course or what most people would call time management uh, on the planet. It is, it's incredibly step-by-step, you know, simple steps. I, I think easy to implement, easy in their concepts but where it gets challenging is you have to manage yourself at a higher and different level than you probably are currently managing yourself. But I, you know, I say the outcome of that program or the book, you know, doing the steps of the, of the book is that it sets you up to be the least stressed, most productive person that you know. I love. and High productivity, high peace of mind. I mean, isn't that the definition of success? You're getting a lot done that's meaningful to you. That's my definition of productivity. It's not just getting shit done, if you will. Productivity is clearly and consistently taking ground on what's important to you, not what somebody else thinks you need to be doing, but what's important to you. So, uh, you know, high productivity, high peace of mind, that to me is the panacea of the human existence. Oh, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm noticing myself breathing more deeply and uh, and like... Oh, yes. And can you uh, give us a little bit of um, the biggest thing that people will have to change? Let's say for someone who hasn't decided they're going to read the book yet, but they, they, they're already thinking, hmm, this lady speaking sense to me. What would they learn uh, from the book 
or from the program uh, that you also have that if they knew how to do right now, their life will be peaceful, calm, and productive? You know, uh, that's a really good question, Gosia, but I don't know that there's one thing. I would have to say there's the two domains that the book functions in, yes. and it's the being and the doing. Okay. Right? So uh, I, I say skill set, mindset, and tool set are what you need to change your productivity and peace of mind. But but if we even boil that down to the doing and the being. So the being, the one thing that you have to change in regard to how you're being in life is to change your vibe or change your consciousness, which in my work, the definition of that is the sum total of your beliefs, emotions, attitudes, and thoughts. Beliefs, emotions, attitudes, and thoughts, which is your inner domain, what I call your vibe, which your level of consciousness. So if you walk around con constantly saying, oh, God, I'm so busy. I just don't have enough time. You know, you're like, what's that? I've asked, I've asked a million people. Like, what do you most often say about time? And 90% of the time people say, oh, I don't have enough. Yeah, I, I am one, one of one. Okay, of good, right. People, that's yeah. 90% of the time that's what people say. Now, if you are walking around constantly affirming in your experience and to the universe, I don't have enough time. Yeah. What do you then continually create? You yeah. create the experience of scarcity around time. Now, it is not true that you do not have time. How do I know that? Because you and I are here on this call. You're still alive, girlfriend. That means you have time. Yeah. So the question isn't I don't have time. It's that I'm not managing myself in time in a way that gives me the experience that I want, which brings us to the, the doing element. So the being element, number one thing, biggest thing you have to change is your consciousness. It's how you mm -hmm. believe, what you believe, how you feel, what you think, what attitudes you hold, beliefs, emotions, attitudes, and thoughts. That's BEAT, B-E-A-T, beliefs, mm -hmm. emotions, attitudes, and thoughts. I say your BEAT creates your vibe. Yes. Right? So the, on the being element, that's the one thing you have to change. You have to change your consciousness. On the doing element, the one thing you have to change is, your, is managing yourself. It's how you manage yourself. Because it's not about time. It's not that you don't have time. It's that you are not managing yourself in time in a way that creates the experience you want to have. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so what does, you know, what does that mean, managing yourself in time? It means being clear on what you're doing mm -hmm. and what you're not doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Your ability to say yes and say no, mm -hmm. clearly, about, mm -hmm. uh, about what activities you want to engage in that will further your values, mission, and purpose in life. Because when, when your life is that aligned, which is, this is getting into my life design course, which is another mm -hmm. one of my programs. When your life is designed to be so aligned with who you are, what you believe, what, you're, what you value, what you're on this planet for, and that's how you're living your life, there is no greater level of, of peace of mind and productivity and happiness and success and fulfillment. That is the definition of happiness, success, and fulfillment. But most people don't ever stop to answer those questions. Am I really moving in the direction I want to be moving in? Most people are busy, but not productive. Mm -hmm. Busy is like, you know, constantly it's like you get to the end of the day. It's like, oh my God, you know, I, I know I was do going all day, but what did I actually get done? Mm -hmm. And you can't really answer that question. That's busy. So, so can I ask you, because you've just touched on something very important. Um, you've touched on that people who are highly effective and fulfilled and peaceful and happy is those who know what their life's purpose is. Yeah. So is it possible to not know what your life's purpose is and not to be aligned therefore with it, but still be peaceful and happy? 
Um, no. So, but you're probably not using the same definition of life purpose that I'm using uh, mm -hmm. right now. So let me just, may I address that a little yes, bit? Yes, please. So uh, I believe that your life purpose is not something you have to go discover and figure out, but that it's something that you were born with, meaning uh, all of us. So I believe there is a purpose to life. There is a purpose to humanity. And we all share the same one. And that is, if you, if you will indulge me, the, the purpose of your life, of my life, of your life, of life in general, of human life, is to grow in consciousness back to the oneness that we came from. Yes. So most people walk around in what I call survival or stress consciousness. Yes. Survival consciousness of like, oh my God, I'm just getting by and it's so hard and it's somebody else's fault and how am I going to do this? Ah, I can't stand it. It's so hard. Or stress consciousness of like, oh, it's hard, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work out. I'm going to figure out a way, but man, it's hard. And it's exhausting living in that consciousness. But re consciousness research shows that mainstream America lives in between those two levels of like, yes. it's hard, so forget it. It's somebody else's fault. Leave me alone. Or stress consciousness, it's hard and I'm going to work and I'm going to uh, stress and all of that to get there. Most of America lives in that consciousness. I I'm sorry, most of, most of industrialized world or, or technological world lives there. Now, what I say is that our purpose is to grow in consciousness back to the oneness, back to the divinity from which we came, because that is just one way of being in life, that kind of stress and struggle. And, and we can look to people who are, have transcended that, spiritual masters, uh, people that we aspire to be like, who don't live in that chaos, who don't live in that stress or scarcity, who just live with a sense of peace and uh, clarity and optimism and hope and unconditional love. Mm -hmm. with a heart and life filled with passion and purpose and possibility. That, so I believe that our purpose in life is to grow from those, if you will, lower levels of consciousness that are so painful and so stressful and so difficult where most of people are living to the higher levels of, of what I call transformation or transcendence, getting into the higher levels of consciousness. Uh, boy, I'm covering a lot of material in one short conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I feel our purpose is. Now, going back to your question, can you live a peaceful life without knowing that? I don't think so, because you will forever be chasing the carrot. Yeah. And think like, oh, when, then when I get the book published, then I will. Oh, but then when I get that marriage, when I have that spouse, <laughs> then I will. Oh, that was the wrong spouse. Wait, now it's got to be that, right? I mean, we do this forever and that never, yes. it's, it's a never ending cycle. You know, and then you're sitting around in the nursing home thinking that the person over there by the, you know, in the sunspot has the better seat than you in the nursing home. And you're still looking outside yourself for some level of peace and satisfaction. Yes. And it's never ending story. Yeah, it is the never. And it's just incorrect. It's the lie that we've created so that we don't have to be responsible for ourselves. So the lie that we tell ourselves that life is so stressful, that we are so busy, that uh, we never have enough time in a day, that uh, other people actually put those things upon us. All of, all of that is one big light that takes us away from our life's purpose, which is being yes. connected with our oneness, with our peace, and being peaceful now, not when you've written the book or uh, or made a million pounds. So talking about money, in fact, because in a moment we're going to get into your story, which interests me hugely, because we know, just to, to tell our listeners, 
that you have been um, an addict, you've been um, homeless, and you've suffered from clinical depression for many years. And we will get into that in a moment. But just before we get there, you've also written a book about money. Tell yeah. us about money and tell us uh, wh what will we find in that book? Yeah, so you're going to find basically the same thing, just about a different topic. Okay. You're going to find that there are two aspects of your relationship with money. There's the being and the doing aspect. And the two are directly related to your experience. So I teach the same steps in this book about money that I teach in the previous book about time, which is go within, determine what your beliefs, emotions, attitudes, and thoughts are about money. Again, what do most people, off, what do people most often say about money? I don't have enough. There's this sense of, and, and believe me, I've worked with people who are millionaires who have that consciousness. Really? So it's not, oh, wow. yeah, absolutely. It's not <laughs> the number of zeros that are in your bank account, hopefully with a number before those zeros, but you know what I'm saying. Um, it's not how big your bank account is. It's the consciousness that you're living in that gives you the experience of money. So I, I mean, many of my coaching clients are, are much more wealthy than I am, but I am more financially free than any of them. And how I, how I define financial freedom is never having to worry about money, whether you have any or not. So do you feel you have enough money? Of well, I have an, of course. I have enough of everything. Yeah. I live in a consciousness of sufficiency. Yeah. I am enough. I have enough. Enough to enjoy and enough to share. Mm -hmm. So that's the consciousness that I live in. Now... If I were to stop working today, I would need to look to the universe to provide me with some other means of financial sustenance. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, am I financially free the way most people use that phrase? I, I guess no, but I'm completely financially free because I never worry about money, whether I have any or not. Now, remember, I was dirt poor. <laughs> like, yes. literally, I was homeless. Uh, I had to buy groceries with my mobile um, in the, the U.S., you know, mobile gas, you know, that must be in, uh, in the U.K. as well um, and, and other countries. So the mobile, the mobile gas station has a mobile mart connected to it. And back in the day, you couldn't use credit cards to buy groceries. So I had to buy groceries with my mobile gas card because I had no money and I had no food. And, but I had a mobile gas card. I had a car. And I had a mobile gas card, so I could buy, you know, a loaf of bread, uh, some orange juice, whatever, basic staples at the mobile mart. Yeah, so, so I'm not yeah. talking about this, you know, oh, it's easy, you don't have to worry about money from a place of like, oh, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I was not. I was born into a lower, much lower middle class. I was not born into a poor family, I would say. But my mother was widowed when I was two years old. She had a oh. high school education with three kids. So she worked two jobs my whole life. Uh, It, you know, so I came from very meager means to now being worth over seven figures. And I say that with just such gratitude and humility that I really understand the energy of money. Not, you know, why do we call money currency? Because it flows. And is it going to flow to you or away from you? That all depends on your money vibe. Wow. Money flows to me all the time in unexpected ways. Why? Because I say that every day. <laughs> <laughs> How, and I believe say, it. And do you say it out loud? Or do you? No, no, do no you, not necessarily. That's, that'd be a little corny, I suppose. But I, I don't know, maybe not. It would be corny to me. I'm an so, introvert. But do you say it every day or do you think it every day? Right. So I say it to myself, which is a thought. Uh, and, you know, even that, it's the vibration that I live in. Aha. Uh -huh. 
It's the vibration that I live in. So I, I have a Facebook page called Money Vibe Mastery, and I posted something on it this weekend, like, oh, you know, where is unexpected income going to come from this weekend? And I was like, oh, I'll take that on for myself, unexpected income this weekend. And literally within two hours, I got an invitation to speak someplace that will be a paid engagement. So um, like, that's what I mean. It just, money is energy. It's a currency that flows to or away from you. And you know, the universe is like Niagara Falls, you know, just this gouging, you know, of, of energy. And yet most of us drink from it like it's a garden hose with a kink in it <laughs> and barely anything trickling out. Oh, my God. That was very powerful what you've just said. Yes. It's so true. The universe yeah. is enormous. It's like un, it's unlimited in what can be sent to you. But it's our consciousness, our vibe that just reduces it right down to a little garden hose. Can I get enough? Can I get enough? <laughs> but but you, you have not always been, as we know, wealthy and peaceful no, no, and I happy. Was very so, poor. So and let's I was crazy. Go, yeah, let, let's go back to the to the time. <laughs> the boring crazy days. Yes, yeah, the boring yeah. crazy days when um, your therapist has written um, a thesis on you, right? So t- yes, tell us yes. about it. Tell us about the, the, the darkest moments. Uh, oh, gosh. Um, yeah, the darkest moments. I guess, let me see. So, oh, oh, the other one that I didn't mention to you. The darkest moments was I was in a battering relationship. Uh, oh. I was in a domestic violence situation with a, a partner who was mentally ill, uh, undiagnosed and, and not on medication. And, uh, yeah, that was, by, <clears throat> that was by far the darkest moments. I just moved to a new city and basically didn't know hardly anyone in the city. I had a job, which was fortunate. Um, but it was so interesting. During, uh, during a work day, it was in New England, winter time. I was in an old building on stairs and I had snow on my boots and I went boom, 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 went flying down a set of stairs because winter time and snow on my boots, old <laughs> building, so it was slippery steps. And I fell down stairs at work and I went into a meeting and I didn't look too good and feel too good. And my team's like, ah, oh, what's the matter? They sent me off to a dock in the box. So it was a walk-in clinics. <clears throat> and the gentleman at the walk-in clinic took me in and he, uh, he evaluated, assessed me. He said, you know, come into my office. I'd like to see you when you're up your dress. And I went in and he looked at me across his big brown table and he said, you know, I have a daughter about your age. And I said, yeah. And, and he said, if someone was doing to her what I know someone is doing to you, I would want someone to say something. Now, the truth is I had fallen downstairs at work. So I had a couple of bruises on my back, but I also had scratches on my neck. I had a bruise on my face. I had grab marks on my arm that I didn't, I didn't even know. I didn't even realize they were there. But he saw it and he saw the signs of this is a person who's being domestically brutalized. And that was a real wake up call for me. Um, So he gave me like, I don't remember a week, 10 days off from a note to be off of work. And he said, you know, I'm going to, you don't really need this time off work, but I can see you need time. You need to time to get yourself safe and to figure out what's happening in your life. So um, that was probably one of my darkest moments that I was in a battering relationship. And when I left that relationship, I was literally homeless. I didn't, I had no place to go because I had moved to a new city and I didn't know anyone. So I, you know, kind of, I took the 10 days, I went home to my parents' place for a while, but I couldn't tell them what was going on. So I did that. And then I had to come back to go back to work. And I stayed with a a colleague for a couple of days, didn't really tell her what was going on. And, uh, you know, then I think I stayed in a hotel room for a few days. So, you know, I pieced things together for the course of a a couple of months. Um, And it was through the summer, actually, as I remember, I took a summer vacation, took a vacation from work. That was part of it. Go away for a while and, you know, go stay with friends. Um, So, 
yeah, so that was that was by far the darkest period of my life. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm so glad it happened because Why? every single thing that I experienced uh, made me who I am today with the strength and the clarity and the resiliency. In fact, uh, uh, my, my former partner and I, who I was in the battering experience with, we were still quite good friends. Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, so obviously, yeah. he, so he reached out to get some help. And, yes. uh, and, and now he is healthy. Uh, yes, in fact, uh, it's actually a she. Uh, oh, she, uh, she and she did get help. She got medication. She went into years of therapy. And yeah, we've been good friends for many years. Okay, and so so tell me, you've also mentioned about the the um, using. Did you say drugs or being addicted? Yeah, I was. Yeah. So I've been in I've been in twelve step programs most of my life. I have uh, various addictions. I, 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 you know, I'm I'm not keen on saying, oh, I went through this addiction because then people say like, oh, well, thank God I don't have that one. What I want people <laughs> to understand is that addiction is addiction. That's right. And even those of you who you know maybe have the momentary thought that you don't have one, what I want to say to people who think they don't have an addiction is we all have some form of addiction. Uh, those of us who are not uh, addicted to substances or processes, processes like, you know, gambling or work or sex or whatever, those are process addictions. And then there are substance addictions like food and, uh, you know, cocaine, alcohol, nicotine. So those are the two types that we most identify with. However, people who don't even have any of that, I say, you're addicted to your ego. You're addicted to your worldview. You're, you're, You're addicted to being right and getting your way. Most people are really addicted to their ego. And, and how they see the world. And when that gets challenged, they will go into the same spirals that any addict goes into. And uh, so I always like people to kind of look at that. And then I also invite people, you know, even if you don't qualify for any 12-step program, to study the 12 steps because it's really a powerful process of awakening so, through the 12 steps. Again, you've, once again, you have said something very profound, and I want to pause, press pause here. Yes, of course. Because um, obviously you, you've just said something really um, interesting that would raise a few people's eyebrows because they're like, oh yeah, she, she's been addicted. It's not my experience. But what I'm actually saying is it is your experience, but you've never acknowledged it. Right. So let, let's just look at me then. For instance, I can be honest and I, for instance, um, no, I've never been addicted to anything, but I am addicted to being um, effective, well, effective, maybe it's not the right word, to working and serving people, making a difference. And so uh, to, to other people's um, perceptions, they would say that I am probably workaholic. Yeah. Okay. So if you were to take me through the 12-step t- program, right, uh, what, what, what would then the, the person who is addicted to working hard or working full stop, what, what would happen to them if they've gone through this 12-step program? Yeah, so the, the 12-step program I'm referring to are the tw- yeah. 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or Debtors Anonymous or Sex Anonymous, Addicts Anonymous. Okay, um, what would happen to that person is that they would recognize that work is not their source, that God is their source, <clears throat> or God mm-hmm. as they identify them, God as they understand, God, something bigger, like whatever animates the universe is what people would come to recognize as their source. See, what we do in addictions is we give over our power to that thing, whether it's sex or work or helping or serving. You know, fundamentally, there is no unselfish act. 
Mm-hmm. We're all what we do. We always do to help make ourselves feel better, even be of service. We do that because it aligns with some way that we need to see ourselves, or some way that we hope to be viewed by other people, mm-hmm. so that we feel better. So that's pretty much always what motivates us: is that we want to feel better. We want to feel good. That, that you know that it's boiling it down to the most basic, essential thing. But it's it's really true. And some people feel good uh, by spending hours and hours in front of a screen, you know, playing video games or watching porn. I mean, biggest industry on the internet is pornog- pornography, All right? So some people feel good that way until they don't. <laughs> and then they recognize that their lives have become unmanageable and they have to face that and recognize that they're harming themselves and other people through their behavior. So, you know, for you as a, a, if you will, a workaholic or a person who's really perhaps dedicated to work in a way that it's not just for altruistic purposes, um, you would have to come to see the degree to which you are harming yourself and other people through your mm-hmm. inability to lead a more balanced existence of, you know, work and rest and play and, you know, other forms of being in the world. Anytime we go too far with one behavior, it's because we're blocking off, we're protecting ourselves from the the discomfort of those other things, mm-hmm. whether it's your marriage or taking care of your body or, you know, so, oh, I'm just going to work. You know, I'm, I'm very much the same way. I'm still in recovery from my workaholism. Um, oh, you still are. I was going to ask you, what are you addicted to? <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I'm a human being, so yes. I'm, I'm addicted to my ego just like everybody else, but I'm aware that I'm addicted to my ego. Uh-huh. So rather than having my ego run the show, I can at least observe, oh, look at that. You know, my ego is wanting to have me re- repeat that pattern again, and I can choose newly. I can choose differently. Like right now, the biggest thing I'm working on right now is my relationship with my teenage son. And I, you know, I really am getting in relationship to my teenage son, how much I'm I'm addicted to feeling like I'm in control. (laughs) No, right. When you have a young child, it's easy. You know, you pick them up, you go here, you go there, you're going to this camp, you have to do this, you have to do that. You know, when you've got a teenager, less and less you're able to make them do. Um, And so when we hit that crossroads, I really had to look and say like, why am I losing my shit over this? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I never, I don't get angry about anything. And I'm like, yelling at him and threatening <laughs> him. And it's just so not who I am. And so I was like, wow, I, I can come, you know, so a person that's not in recovery from their addiction to their ego just goes down that path and never sees that I'm the problem here. Uh-huh. Right. So at some point I recognize like, I'm not happy and I'm the source of my happiness. And it'd be easy to say, I'm not happy because he's doing A, B, and C. But the truth is he's just doing what he's doing. Yes. My ability to respond is up to me. Yeah. So I've learned to uh, deal with my addiction to control and to allow him to be who he is as he is uh, and as he isn't <laughs> um, and, and to be loving toward him. And the more I do that, huh, funny how his behavior is changing. Mm. Interesting. So, I've, you know, I hug him more. I tell him I love him more. I'm more praiseful. Um, I'm less critical of, uh, you know, the, the things that I didn't like, the screen time, you know, on his phone 24-7, you know, all the things that teenagers are doing these days. And um, it's really been lovely. So, yeah, I'm, I'm probably as addicted as everybody else. I'm just aware of my addictions. And so coming back to the, uh, the work, work, workaholism for, for those who are listening who could also be the ambitious um, <clears throat> and focus on 
achieving something. So the first yeah. one is to recognize that work is not the source of your um, of anything. Of just, anything, yeah. It's just a source of money, I suppose. Then the second one is recognizing in what way am I harming myself and others in what way am I harming and then what what give us maybe a few more steps then what do we do next uh you make amends to yourself and others who you've harmed you say I recognize that what I'm okay. doing has been harmful um and I'm sorry and you know here's what I see about that and here and then you make a new choice you make a new commitment in uh you know in some of the 12-step programs you set you establish a new bottom line behavior uh, and a new top line behavior. Your bottom line behavior is rules for yourself that you won't break. So for a workaholic, it might be, you know, at 6 p.m., I wrap up for the night and I don't pick up my work again until whatever, 9, 10 o'clock the next morning. Um, or it might be uh, every day, a top line behavior might be every day I go for a walk uh, or every day I spend at least an hour with my spouse uh, you know, not with a computer in my face and not saying, oh, I gotta go get next to, the, to this next thing. So your bottom line behaviors are those things that you don't violate. They're kind of your rules. And your top line behaviors are the behaviors that are going to help restore integrity and workability to your life. Mm, lovely. This is really profound. Okay. And so coming back to you, darling, when, so you have left the, um, what, what really interests me, you, you've left the man, or the woman, you, you've, le you've left your partner, you've gone to, to find a new way of living with, without them. Uh, but you had no money and, um, <laughs> and also, so the, and there were some addictions, right? And, and then, so what was the turning point that started changing it all and led you to, uh, the therapist I want to hear who wrote the thesis on you. Yeah, oh, right, right, right. That was and, with that, that partner with the domestic violence situation. Yeah. She wrote mm -hmm. a journal article, uh, about us. Yeah. Uh, because our situation was so interesting and complex, uh, so she wrote an article about us that was with the, the gal who I was engaged with, with the domestic partner, domestic violence situation. Uh-huh. Okay. And so, so, so what was the turning point when you started, started working with yourself on yourself, when you started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, what was the biggest, the biggest turning point in your yeah, life? Yeah, sure. I, I think for me, and again, you know, I know it always sounds better, uh, you know, on a podcast or a movie that makes it look like there was a moment. Uh, and I really <laughs> yes. want people to know that was, this was a long ass process of okay. a lot of therapy, a lot of 12 step programs, a lot of going to church, a lot of prayer and meditation, a lot of meeting with my sponsor. So it was a long journey, but the, if, if you, if we need that shining moment, I would say, uh, it was after my spouse and I had, uh, become parents and, uh, uh, and I relapsed into addiction. And, and I relapsed into depression. Uh, I wasn't on medication when, you know, we became, when I, when I became a mom, I was not on any antidepressants. I'd been doing fairly well, uh, both with my addiction and with my uh, depression for, you know, however many number of years. And when I became a mom, uh, you know, within, I don't know, probably within the first year or so I relapsed. Um, and you know, I, I guess there was just so much more. I was older, my life was a little bit more stable, but there was so much more to lose. Uh, I adore my spouse. We've been together for 20 years now. Um, I, I say I am the most happily married person that I know. 
we have a, just a wonderful relationship. So there was losing my spouse. I'm also very close to my spouse's family. So the thought of losing my spouse's family, if we were to separate, and then of course my son, uh, I was a mom and had a child to take care of. So I really had to look and say, am I going to let addiction and depression and mental health you know, issues ruin the life that I've worked so hard to create? So, um, and it was probably, I mean, so I went back on medication, I went back to 12-step programs, I went back in, to therapy. Uh, it was a full-time freaking job getting myself back to some level of stability and sanity. And that was 13 years ago. And, you know, there before the grace of God go I, I say I am recovered from addictions. Uh, and I am recovered. I'm not on any medications any longer. And I have not had a relapse into uh, addictive cycles in, yeah, like since that last one. So 12, it's been 12, 13 years that I've not had to be on medication. I mean, again, I don't know how long I was on medication when I started it. So, you know, whatever, give or take a year here or there, I've been clean, sober and free of depression. And I'll tell you what, you know, this is what I tell everybody. It is my Calming the Chaos program that got me off my ADD medication. Uh, adult attention deficit disorder. And it is my life design course that got me off my antidepressants. Now I would not say, you know, come off your medicine and take these courses, stay on your medicine. But for me, my calming the chaos program absolutely is what gave me the internal and external structures to come off my ADD meds. And I've not been on them for years now. Miss that shit. It's, it's, (laughs) it's good stuff. Um, and it was absolutely my life design course that set my life and my thinking on a direction that was so aligned with my soul's purpose that I've never looked back. So, so you've said something again that really ma- made me sort of sit up straight. And there is three things that I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Uh, see, your, your um, sharing is so profound and so rich that we could sort of split every single thing you said and record another hour, you know. So, <clears throat> so you essentially created those programs for yourself first. Oh, absolutely. And wh- <laughs> no and, question. <laughs> and, and when it worked on you, you, you realized that it will help me, you started sharing it with other people or you started sharing it with other people while you were recovering. Um, I would say both. You know, again, I don't think recovery is a moment. It's a process. So the Calming the Chaos program, I was on my uh, Adderall. I was on Adderall, the ADD medication, uh, when I wrote the Calming the Chaos program. I wrote it because I didn't want to be on medications the rest of my life. So that when I started teaching it while I was still taking Adderall and over the course of teaching that program over the last whatever number of years, I I don't need it any longer. I'm very able to be clear and focused. And, And again, that's not to say that there are not neurological conditions that people can't just use your mind to overcome it. So I don't want to be one of those people who be like, oh, you don't need medication. If you need medication, take the freaking medication. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I had a belief that I wanted to test and prove and for myself. And so I did that. And so the, the life design course, so that one came first. The life design course, I had, you know, I was kind of in early recovery and really know, I really knew I needed a clear step-by-step path and program to keep my life moving in the direction that I wanted it to be. And both of these programs, like the Calming the Chaos program, which was then energy management, I went away for a weekend silent retreat and emerged with this program. I have not changed it in the 15 years I've been teaching it. And the life design program, I've been teaching that for 12 years now. I literally, I was like, I spent a day or 
few hours of a day kind of like thinking about this and praying about it. And I went to bed that night and just got, and when I got into bed, just got this download of the steps of the life design course, have not changed it until I got up and wrote it, you know, got up and, and wrote the steps and have not changed it. In the so it sounds years. like you, you didn't design it from your ego, like God gave it to you, right? Yeah, it definitely. Gave it to you. And yeah. do you know what, you know why this, what you've just said is important because often people say to me, Oh gosh, yeah, you know, I have this amazing idea, this amazing book idea in me, or this program for like one one woman said to me, you know, I have this program for single women to find the, the love of their life. Oh, nice. But I nice. cannot, I cannot share this with them yet. I said, Why is that? It's because I don't have a partner myself. Yeah. And so many of the, my clients or people I know say, well, I cannot share with the world this 12 steps or 10 steps or three steps or whatever, coach them on this because I'm not perfect. And I always say, well, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. You, yeah. you walk with them, you walk with them and you work on yourself. But if you wait till you're perfect, it may never happen. Do you, yeah, exactly do right. you agree do with not it? wait. Yeah. A, a good friend of mine, I just, I, I love her and so admire her. She, um, she had a, a business called the six figure woman, uh, while she was going through bankruptcy. And I was oh like, well, what are you going to do with your business? What are you going to do with? And she's like, I'm teaching it. I'm sticking to it. And to this, that was probably 10, 12 years ago. And to this day, she is making multiple six figures um, because she stayed the course. She has very, a great niche, great business. Um, and she really gets it that she had to just keep sticking to her principles, regardless of what external appearances look like. And I guess it was the same for me. I knew that I was kind of a train wreck and I never tried to hide it. You know, I would always, when I started teaching the life design course, and I still say this, I'm like, look, I just made this shit up. So if you don't like these steps, if you think this is bunk, okay, fine. But given that you're here, why don't you try it out for the, you know, the course of the course while, while you're in the course, try it out. If at the end you're like, oh, this is crap. Look, I just made this up. I don't have any investment. You think it's stupid? Fine. Great. It's worked for me. And for thousands, now at this point, I've been teaching it so long. I, I guess it's worked for thousands of other people. Um, you know, but if you don't like it, fine. You know, so that's how I would tell your, you know, your friends or whoever who think, oh, no, I have to have it this way. No, take the step and then your life is going to follow suit. That's I am so clear that my life would not look like this if I, uh, if I had not written and, been, and taught these programs before my life was idyllic. I mean, and I do feel like I have an incredibly idyllic life. And you know, Jackie, I, I, it reminds me something. I, uh, yeah, I, every year in January, I run a course called Your Year of Expansion. And previous, oh, nice. previously was called The Year I Would Love to Have. And um, I, I remember one year, it was a few years ago, I had a particularly unhappy, challenging few weeks at the beginning of January. And I felt like a fraud. Here I'm about to start a course um, for people to, you know, to create the best possible year they could ever, ever imagine. And yet I felt shit myself. And I remember I went for a walk because the best ideas come to me when I pee or when I walk. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes. And um, I just thought to myself, Gosha. Uh, you absolutely can run this course. You've done it so many times. And what is it that you will want, you would want your people to do right now if they felt shit? Many of them do feel shit and they will feel shit again. What do you want them to do? And I went back to all my sort of principles, which I share with people in a course. And then within, within minutes, maybe hours, 
eyes shifted. So I think right. That's yeah. so that's so powerful. I love that. And and so so sometimes it's easy for the teachers to go off the of the track because they forget. Oh, I've done it so many times. But I think that it's what, what we teach. We first de developed or channeled for ourselves. Exactly. And when life gets difficult, all we need to do is to go back to what we're teaching others. And we always teach what we, what we need to learn ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Jackie, before, I just want to ask you a couple yeah. more questions, really, sure. before we finish, because I can see this could go on for an hour, for another hour, I mean. I want to talk to you about depression, because this is one of the most tricky things that people struggle with yeah. in the world and i know quite few people who are currently depressed and they don't want to take drugs but they sort of have to but you know there's two kinds of things i want to talk to you about the depression the first one is that i know a few people who are the happiest people uh, that i've ever met and they are the the bundle of joy and happiness and confidence and the sooner as they gave birth to their first child they sort of send me a message saying, uh, you know, a few weeks after or even a month after, I don't know who I am anymore. I've lost mm -hmm. myself. I feel sad. And one of my closest friends, she, she, sent, she, she basically, she was the happiest, most confident person I've ever known. And then often she sends me a message. Uh, sorry, I can't speak to you right now because yet again, I am falling asleep, crying myself to sleep. Why do you think that a lot of women who give birth go through the post, uh, postnatal depression? Yeah. Um, Why? So I, I have no idea biochemically or medically or any of that. So I, you know, yes. be sure to listen to a medical professional about why that happens. I have no idea. Uh, in terms of my areas of expertise, mm -hmm. which is kind of your inner domain of consciousness, psychology, what I think women experience is, you know, in sociology, there's a, a Max Weber term called radical relativization, which is an event in your life that is so radical that it makes everything else in your life relative, mm -hmm. less important, more flat. So having a child and a first child or maybe even second or third um, is an event that is so radical it's so different, so profound, so life-changing in ways that I think every woman knows they, they don't know what's going to happen and how to, ex you know, what to expect, but then it happens. And it's like, oh, this is what it is. This is what it's like. That I, I think that sense of having to redefine your identity, redefine life, recalibrate life through the lens of having to care for this being, you know, and not just now. I mean, this is part of what my depression was about. It's like, I've got to do this for like the next 20 years. Like, <laughs> yes, oh my God. Like I just, yeah, I said, it, I said it felt like, uh, like a terminal relationship. You yeah. Know, like yeah. Like life sentence. Just, or, yeah. Like you just can't, you can't get out of it. Like I, I, you can't divorce <laughs> yes. it. You can't like, and I just freaked, you yes. know, uh, in a way that I could, you know, I knew it was going to be life changing. I knew I wouldn't like every moment of it, you know, and all of that. And it's not that it, it had nothing to do with my son. My son's a beautiful, lovely, he's a fantastic kid. He's a great baby. Nothing to do with that. Just, you know, the loss of life as you know it is a tremendous loss. Even when it's a good thing that comes into your life, a beautiful baby and, and all of that, uh, it's loss of your identity and life as you know it. And that is a radical event. So what would you advise to 
um, those women who are about to go through it or they are going through it right now, uh, what, what would you th- advise them to do to they're, feel better? They're like, do you mean to young mothers who have yes. young mothers? Yes, well, not necessarily young. Well, this is young because the, the person I'm thinking about, she's around 40. Okay. Um, you know, first of all, I would normalize it. Like, it's okay that you're not that, like, over the top, joyfully happy that you have this, you know, new child in your life or this child in your life. Um, That's not what everyone experiences. And that's completely fine. It's really okay to just have your experience. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, the first thing, just normalize it. And then uh, the next thing I would say is, you know, wherever you can, find moments that are just for you. And I know yeah. that's hard with a newborn, but if you've got a family member, relative that can take the baby for an hour, if your spouse can take the baby for an hour, a couple of hours, don't like take those couple of hours to do the laundry and you know do all yes. the other things that you have to do. Really take those hour or two, even if it's just 20 minutes, to do something that really feeds you. Uh, you know, writing a, in a journal or going for a walk, going to the gym, going for a run, whatever it is that really mm-hmm. feeds you do that thing. It might be going to sleep, taking a nap. Yes. That's completely fine. Most of the time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the time. Um, so that would be the next thing. And then, I mean, I know this may sound trite, but it really helps is keeping a just a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. E- even if it's just, a, you know, you put up a chalkboard or a whiteboard in the kitchen and you write it down every day and erase it the next day and put up, you know, three or four or five other ones, or if you can write it in a journal, that is incredible incredibly helpful to just shift your focus and like, okay, I feel like I can't even freaking breathe here, you know, and I've got so much going on with the baby in my life. However, you know, I'm grateful for my spouse. I'm grateful for my cat. I'm grateful that I have a house to live in. I'm grateful that uh, I can listen to podcasts and read uplifting materials and, you know, whatever. Just shifting your focus uh, for five, 10 minutes a day, it helps. And, And there's lots of science to back that up. But normalize it. It's okay. Second, get help, get support, even if it's just for 20 minutes a day uh, or, or a couple of hours once a week. Like just to have your time, whatever, however you're able to do that, to have your time. And the third thing is, as best you can, find some way of keeping track of what I'm grateful for. I, had, I kept a mother's journal. And as part of my mother's journal, I, I, uh, I kept a gratitude list in there. Wonderful. Fantastic. Jackie, I also want to ask you about money as well. So we know you were poor, like a mouse, uh, we, we say in Poland. And um, how did you go from that place of not having very much money, not having a good relationship with money, to, be, to being now well off and, uh, and manifesting a lot more? Like what, what was the very first few steps you have taken and to create the wealth that you are enjoying right now? Sure. I, I think the first step is that it didn't kill me. <laughs> you know, I, I survived being dirt poor uh, and all the things that I did to get through graduate school. You know, I, I did uh, medical laboratory tests, uh, to paid laboratory experiments on my body to make money in college. I worked awake overnights in a service center uh, to, to get through college. So, like, it didn't kill me. I got through it. Um, you know, I, this sounds so ridiculously simple, but I changed my consciousness. Mm. I grew up uh, with a mother who had been widowed as a young uh, mother with three children. So we were pretty poor growing up. And I had this notion, this consciousness of just getting by. 
we'll make it, but we're just going to get by. Mm -hmm. And that was my consciousness for most of my life up until I would say the last 10 years. And when I recognized that I was replicating the, I'm just going to get by and like white knuckling it. And it was never easy. And I was always stressed and thinking, you know, kind of thinking about where the next money was going to come from. And I, and I'd been studying consciousness for quite some time, maybe 10 years at that point. I've been a student and teacher of consciousness studies for a long time. Um, so I started saying, well, you know, can this happen with money? Can I change my outer experience based on my inner belief and knowing, which by the way, is the definition of transformation to change your outer experience based on a shift in your inner experience. And so I wrote a course called, back then, it was a course called Prosperity Consciousness. Uh, I taught that for a few years, uh, a little bit, and then kind of left the money thing, went into the chaos and productivity thing, and then came back after writing Calming the Chaos, I came back to money. And I took the course that I developed way back when and turned it into a course called Money Vibe, which really is a deep dive look at what you believe and what you say the vibratory pattern that you create about money is what will manifest your outer experience. Wow. My spouse and I are looking at, at two pretty big expenses right now. One is buying a, a Tesla Model Y, which is a you know, fairly expensive automobile. I, I've always, uh, well, I, I kind of always had nice cars. I had BMWs, but then I totaled a BMW several years ago. And I told my spouse, you get to pick. It's my fault. I shouldn't have done what I did, you know, the accident. And she chose a Prius. So up until the last several years, I've always had nice cars when uh, now I have a Corolla and a Prius. I say, I have no cars. My spouse has two. Um, so, and it's, you know, it's time to replace one of our cars. And she said, you get to pick this time. So I chose something that was fairly expensive. I've never had a, a car as expensive as a Tesla Model Y before. I've never had that kind of an expensive car. And I had to really look like, you know, can I do this? And we just, you know, looked at each other and said, if we decide, we will, we will be able to do it. And we, of course, we would pay cash for it. I don't want to take a loan. I'm not one of those other people's money kind of people. Um, so uh, now we have the money uh, set aside and just kind of waiting to make the decide and make the purchase. And the next one is to buy another summer home. We have a summer home in upstate New York on the Thousand Islands in the Thousand Islands region. And my neighbor is selling his house. And we're like, oh, should we buy it? You know, it'd be nice to have two of them. And, and we just looked at each other and said, you know, if we decide to buy it, it will work out. Yes, if we decide. So there needs to be a decision. If we Would decide say- to buy it, right. We may not, we may not just, you know, part of me is like, do I really want the hassle of another property to take care of, you know, that, mm-hmm. like, so that just a lifestyle, like it's, it's not just about the money. It's like, once you own it, that's a whole other thing. It's like having another child. That's right. You it's have to clean more, it. You have to maintain it. Well, you, you have, have to maintain to it. it. Things yeah. break, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. it's a summer place. So the, you have the winters taking care of it over the winters when you're not there. So, you know, do I want that uh, additional yeah, right. responsibility? in my life. So, but it's not, oh, we can never afford that. Or, oh, I'm not going to be able to afford that. And yes, you know, I just don't live like that. I, I just live like, okay, if we decide to do this, we'll be able to do it. It will not be a problem. Wonderful. Now, Jackie, many people now listening to you and they go, oh God, this, this is amazing. I want to, I want to stop being depressed. I want to have less chaos. I want to be calm and I want to be wealthy. So you, you have answers to all those questions. <laughs> I do. I, I mean, shop, I know it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do people contact you? How do they find you? 
Sure. I'm easy to find. You can certainly just Google me, Jackie Woodside, and you'll find my website probably on the first thing. So JackieWoodside.com is my website, and you can reach me there through the contact button. Um, you, can, you can get the Calming the Chaos book for free, uh, CalmingTheChaos-book.com, mm-hmm. although I don't think I can ship internationally. But I can, if, if you fill that out, I can make sure you get the ebook for free. Okay. Um, so that calmingthechaos-book.com uh, is a, a place to do that. And on that website, you can also purchase the webinar, the four series webinar um, that, is, uh, that goes with that. And the money vibe is moneyvibemethod.com. And there's a webinar that goes with that. Or you can just hire me or one of my coaches. I have a, a, a group of coaches uh, that teach that that coach and teach the life design course and the calming the chaos program. So, uh, at this point in my career, I'm really focusing on expanding my vibration by having people teach my work. So, if that also is of interest to people to become a certified life design coach, that's something else that I offer uh, to people. That's good. Oh, it's you know I tell my coaches all the time, and now they tell me the best thing about being a life design coach is being a life design coach <laughs> because you're constantly in this conversation for designing your life based on who you came here to be. Creating the vibrational energy, the vibe uh, of your thoughts, beliefs, emotions, attitudes, and thoughts constantly as you move forward, taking action on the things that you most love and want to bring into your life. It's, it's a delightful way to live. I just, I, I, I just feel like it would solve every world problem if we could get everybody to think and live this way. You do that online as well. People can yeah. do, do that. Okay. Well, I've got the first person for you already. She's oh, looking great. for a good coaching uh, pr- program. Okay. Oh, that's great. So Jackie. I pay a referral fee. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So Jackie, tell me this. Um, I'm very curious um, to just to close down. How many hours a day or how many hours a week do you work? Well, that's an interesting question. It's summertime. And I have a teenage son who's not in school. So right now I work maybe 10 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I barely work at all in the summers. I'm out jet skiing and hiking and doing yard work, cutting down trees. I, yesterday, my son and I learned how to use a chainsaw. We're cutting up <laughs> trees on our property. So in the summertime, I barely work. That's part of my life design. Mm-hmm. Uh, you it's know, I have, I, I have value around family and I have value around sharing my mission and my mm-hmm. career. Uh, so nine months out of the year, I, I don't know. So even that, like nine months out of the year, I work, I would say a lot, but but it's all relative. So every day I'm done by three 30 to pick up my son after school. Um, and I go to all of his sports games. I play in three sports leagues myself. This was pre pandemic, of course, who knows what our lives will be like, but soon hopefully we'll resume that. Um, uh, so yeah, so I go to all my son's athletic events and I pick him up after school. I'm up with him having breakfast in the morning. So I work from like, I don't know, he's out of the house by seven. I do an hour of spiritual practice and I work from like eight to three. Um, and then if there aren't sports, mine or his at night, sometimes I might work another hour or two at night doing email or catch up work. And then weekends, I don't know, sometimes I teach a program where a week I will work all weekend. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, you know, a few times a year. So, yeah, I would say I have a really balanced life between work and play and family time. And um, I love everything I do. It's all, you know, it's not like I go to work. It's just a different expression of who I am. That's right. So, basically, you live a life that you've created by design. And, um, Jackie, if you were um, to deliver 
your last tip. Imagine that you know you're going to die tomorrow and you are to be given a chance to speak to millions of people before you pop your socks off. And every single pe person probably on the planet will hear you. What Ooh, would that's be so exciting. You know, if I had that chance, I would yes. die tomorrow. Oh my God, no, please don't. <laughs> if I had that chance, if every person on the planet is going to hear this message and heed the message. Yes, not just hear it, not just hear it, but <clears throat> apply it in their but life. But heed the message, right? Yeah, what, what, would, what would be, what would it be? What would you say? Yeah, it's something that I say to my son, have said to my son a million times, uh, and he's probably so sick of it, the poor kid. <laughs> the most important thing you will ever learn is how to manage your thoughts, behavior, and emotions. And, and so, okay. So, the most so, important thing yes. you'll ever learn is to manage your thoughts, your emotions, and your behavior. So life is not about what's happening to you. It's who you choose to be in response to life. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And then, of course, your then next uh, sentence would be, and if you want to find out more, go to JackieWoodSite.com. <laughs> then you can die. <laughs> yes. Just email me. So you can go to my website or just email me, Jackie at JackieWoodSite.com. Wonderful. I'm easy to reach and uh, I'm very accessible. So Jackie at JackieWoodSite.com. I would love to hear from people who've met me through you. That would be delightful. And, um, you know, I'm passionate about this message because it certainly, it literally saved my life. Uh, no, hands down, no question. It literally saved my life. I have had many, many clients tell me the same thing, that, that this work saved their lives. Oh, wow. So uh, no matter how desperate you feel like your situation is, if you're willing to do the work, there are answers. And, and it's not hard. No. Uh, there's, there's simple, simple steps. You've just got to be willing to think and believe and behave in a different way. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. It has been a great pleasure. And I've given you a name before I even got on, on uh, this podcast with you. Uh, the most peaceful change maker in the world. <laughs> oh, nice. I love that. I am very peaceful. Uh, it's, so, it's so funny. Just a brief aside. I know we have to wrap up. I, I was in bed with my spouse last night and she was upset that I'm not more upset about the racism, anti-racism movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. And, and I was like, I get it that you're upset that I'm not upset about it. I said, but I'm, it's, it's not, am I not being upset doesn't mean I accept it or think that it's okay. But in, how, in my world, how you create a better world is by envisioning what you want rather yes. than fighting against what's so. Mm. So may we all keep envisioning a world of oneness and equality and equity and justice and peace for everyone. And you know, I'm clear on my part in this. My part yes. in the anti-racism Black Lives Matter movement is to raise consciousness on the planet. And That's the more right. I can do that, the, the better world we will have for everyone. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's lovely to be with you and all of your people. Lots of love. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you. Please share with us what you found useful and inspiring about this episode. If you know somebody who is making a big difference in the world and we should interview them, let us know. Please drop us an email at storiesofexpansion at gmail.com.